Welcome to the Essential Geopolitics podcast from Stratfor, a rain company. I'm Emily Donahue. Today I'm speaking with Greg Pretty, who is Director, Global Energy and Middle East for Stratfor. Greg, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. One of the big disruptions of the COVID-19 pandemic has been the price of oil. How has that affected Gulf Arab state finances? Well, I think COVID uh, really kind of accelerated and intensified a trend that was already there. You know, you'd had a big OPEC production cut into in that December 2016 and uh, a rise in prices in 2017 through 2019. And then that had already corrected down to about $50 a barrel before COVID hit. Um, so we were already looking at, uh, you know, a very large bu- budget deficit for the Saudis and fiscal pressures on them. Um, but what we have on top of that is this dip in prices down, uh, you know, for Brent to as low as below $20 a barrel. We're now starting to come out of that. Uh, and we peaked a little bit above 40 today. Uh, but we're still at levels that are causing them, uh, you know, a lot more financial pain in the short term than would have otherwise been the case. But I think these pressures, uh, you know, toward us austerity in Saudi Arabia in particular would have built over time um, because their budget balances at a higher price than is likely to be sustainable for the oil they're selling. And of course, that kind of economic impact has been on the minds of global business lately. Let's talk a little bit about Saudi currency. Well, um, you know, the, the peg has been uh, in place for a long time. Uh, the last time the peg was moved was over 30 years ago in 1986. Um, so the real has been pegged at 3.75 to the dollar. And that has provided a lot of stability, you know, for a country that, uh, you know, most of their foreign currency revenue is sales of oil. And, uh, you know, both crude and products are usually priced, uh, you know, for the overwhelming bulk of what they sell in dollars. So that has made sense with them as a petrostate hydrocarbon economy. Um, it also has, uh, you know, provided a lot of stability when you think about uh, state salaries and standards of living. So if you know that the currency is pegged to the dollar and you don't have fluctuations against that, how far your salary goes as a Saudi citizen and, you know, most Saudi citizens who have who are employed or employed by the state rather than the private sector, um, you have a, a stability in your standard of living that that supports, uh, you know, which has generally been positive. And so I think that has also been part of why this has been, uh, you know, so core to their view um, of keeping the country stable politically is that it it protects people from fluctuations in their standard of living that would be the case on a floating currency. And why are some questioning its durability? When you look at where Saudi Arabia is now, you know, they're five years into the economic reform program, uh, Vision 2030, that they've adopted to try to diversify their economy and become less dependent on oil exports. And, you know, that's been a, a mixed bag in terms of success. But over that time, you know, I think they've become a bit more pessimistic about and the market has become more pessimistic about their ability to support uh, crude oil prices at a level where they're going to be financially comfortable. So what COVID has done, you know, accelerating this process is caused a price drop that has led to, um, you know, a return of drops in their fiscal reserves. And in the past, when you've had, uh, there's been a cyclical up and down in Saudi fiscal reserves. Um, you know, so when you look back at the recession of 2008, 2009, their reserves went down, but then they came back up. 
Um, and the problem this time is uh, that they're probably with the energy transition and the, uh, you know, what we see as a gradual move in transportation, in particular away from fossil fuels, oil demand growth uh, in comparison to GDP is going to come back slower than uh, the GDP numbers do. It, you know, it turned out that COVID was not quite as bad on the demand destruction side as people expected, but you know, there also is not uh, an expectation in the market that we're going to go back to $70, $80 a barrel where they would be more comfortable. And so that has led to austerity on their side, but also a, a return of really sharp drops in uh, fiscal reserves. So for where they were, well over $700 billion before the price collapse in 2014, they stabilized after the 2016, December 2016 OPEC cuts um, at around 500 million. And what has happened since COVID hit is it's pulled us down to where it's dropping precipitously again. And for foreign reserves uh, at the Saudi Arabian Monetary Authority fell by roughly $51 billion in March and April. With that big drop in reserves, um, you know, we're still nowhere near the point where they couldn't defend the peg. Economists estimate that defending the peg, they probably need to have reserves over about 300 billion, you know, at a minimum. But we're closing in on a point where we're probably going to be approaching that level eventually. They're borrowing, they're spending their reserves down. And as they take back market share alongside Russia and the other countries in OPEC Plus that cut, we're probably going to have a stall in the 40s and low 50s per barrel for a while. As those countries that cut, you know, it takes a while for demand to get back to normal and those cuts are reversed, but they don't want to let prices go too high or keep the cuts in place for too long. Because if we got back to, say, $60 a barrel plus, then you would get back to, you know, potential for not shrinking U.S. production or another competing non-OPEC production, but actually having it increase. That thing that they're running into with the need to take back market share, low per barrel prices and the decline in fiscal reserves, they're not going to have an opportunity to get back to six, $700 billion in reserves and prepare for the next downturn. And they know that they're in the middle of this long-term energy transition. So that has caused them, I think, to, in the short term, be very vehement about you know, the fact that they will not abandon the peg. But there certainly are you know, market watchers, and I'm sure there's internal discussion there about what it would take to do it eventually. And there's some, or there are some potential advantages to doing it. Well, what would those potential advantages and even drawbacks be of an eventual devaluation? Well, the, the big drawback of a devaluation is that it would be yet another cut in standard of living. You had the uh, value-added tax, the VAT tax that came into effect a year ago. That has now been raised from 5% to 15%. So that is a big hit to standard of living. And if you had a currency that's overvalued by 15 or 20% and you cut it down to a closer to what its market valuation would be, in a, still having a peg probably, but a devaluation to balance it, that would uh, you know, essentially be a wage cut for public sector workers and, and not be popular. But when you look at economic transformation, here's the potential benefit for it. One, you're trying to get Saudis to be less dependent, Saudi citizens, on public sector jobs and to go into the private sector. And you're trying to get the private sector to hire more of them and back out guest workers. And so what that does is effectively 
reduces the kind of premium that people have put on public sector employment. And it also would make domestic industry more competitive in terms of, uh, you know, right now when you have an overvalued currency, there's an incentive to import things that you could make at home. And so, you know, if you wanted to go into light manufacturing, consumer goods and such, some of that could actually be done much more viably and competitively if you didn't have that overvalued currency incentivizing imports. So I think that that's part of what tips the balance eventually is reserves will come down to a level where uh, supporting the peg will become problematic. But you also have um, you know this competitiveness aspect that was not there before the energy transition and the Vision 2030 goal of putting people into the private sector, when you thought that nationals were going to be in the public sector and you were going to have expat workers for the most part in the private sector outside the higher rungs of it, that was a much different economy. So trying to shift Saudis over there and create more domestic jobs, you know, in some ways the peg presents headwinds to that. But it's hard to rip the Band-Aid off because of the benefits of it in the short term. Greg Pretty is Director of Global Energy and Middle East for Stratfor. Greg, thanks so much. Thank you. You can read more of Greg Pretty's analysis at Stratfor Worldview. Podcast listeners get a special subscription rate. Go to stratfor.com slash podcast offer. That's all one word, stratfor.com slash podcast offer. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening. 